there aren't enough veterinarians, there aren't enough registered veterinary technicians, there aren't enough veterinary assistants. There's just not enough of us to meet the demand. If I could hire four doctors, I still would be booked out for like a month. Hello, and welcome to the Redesigning Normal podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Southern. Since COVID-19 hit in March of 2020, businesses have had to completely redesign how they operate in the new normal. With this show, we'll bring you interviews from leaders across a variety of industries to discuss the impacts the pandemic has had on their business, how they're adjusting, and how they're preparing for whatever the future may hold. Join us each week as we bring you a new expert interview. Each episode, we discuss how a different industry is adapting to these changing times. This episode is brought to you by Invisible Health Technologies. At Invisible Health Technologies, we believe that nothing is more important than our safety and security at work and in our communities. To achieve this, we implement groundbreaking technologies that play a vital role in helping us create cleaner, safer spaces for ourselves, our employees, and our children. With cutting-edge health and safety technologies, we keep organizations safe in today's new normal. Prepare your business for the future today by contacting us at InvisibleHealthTechnologies.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, Redesigning Normal. My name is Andrew Southern, and today I'm joined uh, by my guest, Kristen Beitzel, who's the VP of Medical Services at East Bay SPCA. Kristen, thank you for joining us. Of course, no problem. I wanted to start out and just ask if you could explain for our audience a little bit uh, about what East Bay does and also about your role there, maybe how you got into that role. Yeah, so the East Bay SPCA is here to serve the Alameda and Contra Costa counties as a whole. So we partner with municipal partners directly as well as work directly with the community. Uh, So as an organization, we provide medical services to the public through our full service veterinary clinic as well as two spay neuter veterinary clinics. So it looks at high volume um, that does anywhere from like 25 to 32 spay neuters a day. Then we have, of course, our shelter and adoption centers. We have um, humane education. So they are educators that work specifically with youth in the community um, to develop that animal welfare and respect bond early that they can share with their families and grow with. We have humane advocacy that works with those underserved in the community, um, such as if they need additional support, whether that be financially to take care of their animals. Um, We have pet food pantries that they come through. We also partner with other social workers to make sure that everyone's taken care of as a whole. Um, A large volunteer base that we couldn't do anything that we do without them. We have about 400 active volunteers at the moment. And then, of course, our behavior and training team, they work internally with our animals to help prepare them for adoption, as well as help them through the veterinary process where they may be nervous through, as well as work with those in the community. So we do private one-on-one trainings as well as group trainings. Um, so that's us in a nutshell. Wow. Thank you very much. How did you get to your role uh, in, in the organization? Yeah. So... I started in vet med kind of in the bottom right out of high school in 2005 as a receptionist, kennel, tech, and I started in private practice and then did the vet assistant role and was doing the pre-med, pre-vet route. Decided I liked the business side a little more than my undergrad classes, so then transitioned 
and I've done private practice, corporate practice, and then this role came available at the East Bay SPCA, and I was really intrigued about the nonprofit model and was looking for a bigger purpose of making an impact. So that's how I came to be here about two and a half years ago. Wow. Okay. And I guess it's probably a good time to sort of explain to everybody how the organization is funded. Yeah, so we do have a development team. Um, So we have fundraisers, we have amazing regular donors, bequests, so people who pass away have put us in their will, you know, other corporates, partners like grants. So we're really thankful this last year, PetSmart gave our Humane Advocacy Program $100,000 for veterinary care for underserved populations. So we're able to make that connection where hopefully we can have individuals come in to get the veterinary care that they need, such as like major surgeries, wellness care that they wouldn't be able to afford. So they don't have to pay anything out of pocket to make sure that we keep the pet with the family because we don't want to separate them. That's our goal. Um, But we also have services that are paid for by the community, but donations help us to subsidize those costs to keep them lower. Um, So what we would see at our veterinary clinic, there are paid services, but they're much lower than what you would see at the general practices around the area. Um, Same thing as our behavior and training classes, our humane education. Right now we have summer camps going and we know summer camps can be expensive for kids to be here for a week, Um, but we also have scholarships for those. So we try to reduce those barriers as much as we can with the donations that we're receiving. All right, so let's let's go back in time a little bit because this is a podcast about like reactions to to COVID first and foremost. Okay, if we go back to February or March of 2020, was there a point in time where you realized that uh, this thing you were hearing about in the news was potentially going to affect East Bay uh, and the work that you do there? Was there like a moment? For sure, I know the official day off the top of my head was March 17th, 2020. <laughs> we all just recognize that date as something major that was happening. Uh, One of the big things that happened specifically to the the veterinary side that I can speak to is that the California Veterinary Medical Association established that wellness or non-urgent services were to be ceased completely. So that means our entire spay-neuter team, therefore, could not operate, period, until the CVMA released that, which happened in July. So that's a big chunk of time that we weren't able to perform any of those wellness-type surgeries, which then slowed down our ability to get animals adopted as well. So we did make an executive decision that we would close to the public, but animals in our care that needed to be adopted for welfare reasons because if they were declining in the shelter or if we didn't have a foster spot available for them, plus maybe fosters weren't able to keep them for four or five months, um, we would alter them through our full service clinic because it to, for us that was an urgent need. That wasn't just a wellness because it's not something that could wait. For our humane education department, because schools kind of had to stop, obviously they kind of had to shut down what was going on. Our foster team responded so quickly that in less than 24 hours, this might be the wrong number, but it was, I feel like it was almost 200 animals that they got out into foster homes to empty out our shelter so that 
we could safely protect our team from coming in. Um, so it was a huge goal of ours as an organization that we refused to do any layoffs. We just wouldn't do it because our team is our biggest asset and we wanted to protect them. So we developed ways to make sure that they kept their health insurance. Um, hours were decreased, but they were doing trainings at home, sometimes those that can log into our phone system to handle calls. So we got real creative to make sure that our team as a whole was um, still employed and felt like they were making an impact, uh, since that's really big for our team. You know, they're here in nonprofit because they're passionate about what we do. Well, that was something that I was going to say is like, nobody knew how long it was going to go on for, right? So it's like, you know, you shut this down, but you don't know when it's going to back, open back up again. I, I'm sort of akin to like being stuck in an elevator. It's like, well, it's not necessarily like, it's fine. You're safe. You're in the elevator. But like, what, how long are you going to be in there? Right. And that was like, nobody knew. So if it went on for, you said until June or July before you could open back up again, those, those services. The spay neuter spots um, were not until July. There were other pieces of the organization. Actually, our um, humane education manager worked really hard, um, and we were one of, I think, four in Alameda that were actually able to operate summer camps last year. Um, so we went through the um, Alameda Department of Health to get clearance and regulations. So obviously, we had to lower our numbers, change our programming. Our behavior and training team did all their training virtually. So having a dog now, I'm sure you can imagine that it's just not the same with being in person, but clients did enjoy it. Um, you know, on March 17th, we all thought it was going to be two to three weeks and then just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. So we just kept adapting. And as a senior leadership team, we just, you know, kept a really nice pulse on it. And we're trying to make those adjustments as quickly as possible. You know, we went completely curbside with medical services. And actually, uh, this week was the first week that we started allowing clients into our building. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a long process uh, before we actually got there. So That's like 14, 15 months mm -hmm. of, of not having any strangers walk into the building, right? Which is weird. So, we've had to check ourselves. We had to have a little bit of a meeting. It's like, okay, guys, now we need to make sure what music we're listening to, our conversations need to be <laughs> like, you know, when you don't, you're not around clients, not that we're being unprofessional, no, but I get you know, it. you just kind of get a little more loose. Right. It's like, we're open to the public now. We have a public face again. Exactly. Right. I, I can see how that could be you need to transition into that, maybe, right? Like, don't leave yeah. your lunch on your desk kind of thing anymore. Exactly. And then our, um, it's kind of interesting because two of our newest veterinary assistants were hired past COVID. So they've never actually worked as a veterinary assistant with clients in the building. So they're like, it's a totally, it is a different flow. It's kind of like, oh, there's people in a room. We're actually doing treatments when clients are there with us. So Right, um, right. Because you said it was all curbside before. Like if I came to you and I had a, an animal that needed attention, I would give you the animal. And you guys would take the animal and do your thing. And then, and then I would come in and pick up my dog, right? Now, it's probably more comfortable for some folks, especially those who are nervous about this, to accompany their pet into the facility. So what was that like during the period of time when it was really just curbside medical drop-off and pickup? I would imagine that there's a subset of folks who are dropping off their pet and they're like 
this is like adding to the stress because now they can't even go into the building with them. Yeah. So multiple components of stress happened when it came to curbside. Initially, it was a much slower process. So unfortunately, it doesn't sound like a lot, but each doctor lost two appointments per day. But in the grand scheme of things, when we're trying to get as many animals taken care of, especially with our clientele that don't have other options or other resources of where to go to, um, having to tell them, no, it's like, I don't have space. It's, you know, it's mentally hard for the team, you know, because we want to help, but we also have to protect our team from burnout and emotional fatigue, compassion fatigue. So the stress of the team, that was really hard for them to support them through that. Um, on March 17th, it was a decision from senior leadership. I, I am part of senior leadership, but, you know, I kind of was vetoed out um, with the most sincerest way to say that is that I'm a high risk individual. So they said, you know, we want to protect you. I think you should work from home. And again, we thought it was going to be three weeks. So then I'm like, okay, I understand. I'll go home for three weeks and I'll work from home. So for my team to go through that stressful transition period, and I'm doing everything by phone, I'm calling in, I'm texting. So I mean, that was a stressful part. I have amazing managers, so they were there for them. But again, as we work through the process, you know, the stress started to decrease. We actually noticed that animals were less stressed coming in on their own because they weren't reading off of their owners. So many of them were much better to be handled, calmer. We were able to get more things done. It wasn't as common for us to ask the client for assistance because sometimes it's like, you know, they're super nervous. Can you assist us in putting a muzzle on? Or like, we're going to give you medications to give in advance, give one to two hours before coming in to help relax them, and then we can move forward. Um, our entire team became fear-free certified. So we're big components on helping with that, you know, mental well-being of the animals when we're treating them. We don't want to treat them in a fearful or force them into a fearful state. So, sorry, what is the what is that fear-free? What does that mean? Uh, fear-free certification is additional um, continued education that individuals take, and it's um, an eight-module program to become fear-free certified. So it's eight hours of additional education. Um, so it discusses body language, handling, um, ways to decrease stress, using pheromones, other things, um, and what's called PVPs, so pre-visit pharmaceuticals different dosages to help ease in animal stress. Um, you know, the old way of vet med is like, this needs to get done, a little manhandling, we'll get it done. Now, we absolutely won't do that. Um, and we also, there's a shelter fear-free program that came out after the veterinary side. So 100% of our organization has gone through fear-free certification, whether that be vet side or shelter side. Um, as well as behavior and training, there's another behavior and training side of it as well. So, is this like cat Xanax, basically? Kind of. Yeah, that's what I figured, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that would make a lot of sense because then once they get to you, they're a little bit more chill. Particularly if you have to drop them at the curb and and do whatever. That makes a lot of sense. I just had never heard it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, what about on the adoption side? Like, let's say we're going through the summer and folks would. I remember there's like a there was almost like a run on dogs and cats. Insane. 
Mm-hmm. So what was that like? And then also they can't come into the facility or, or, or whatever. Yeah. So we did matchmaking. So it was almost like a, two or three of our team members on shelter side, um, they actually became full-time matchmakers. So they knew personalities. People were sending in applications. Yeah, it was like a dating site to get them matched together. They would schedule appointments. They'd come in. With the dogs, they were able to meet them in our play yard, and then they could decide at that time. Cats are a little different. So with cats, it was more like, we prepped you a go kit, here's your kitty and a carrier, go home with them. And it was very rare for us to have a return because the matching process was just Our team did an amazing job. I can't applaud them enough. Um, But as you speak with the the run of animals, it was insanity. People were home. They had time. So not only were they trying to get them from the shelter, but, you know, from breeders, no one could keep up with it. And then that also impacted veterinary care because if anywhere was shut down or decreased appointments, like we, like I said, we dropped four appointments a day. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it adds up quickly. Um, And other places were having to drop appointments. People just can't get in for care, and it's still happening now. Wow. With appointment availability, it's just not there. I could honestly say for our full-service clinic, we are completely booked until August. Is it a facility problem, or is it a doctor time problem? Um, it's doctor time. It's the limit of professionals in the community. So there aren't enough veterinarians. There aren't enough registered veterinary technicians. There aren't enough veterinary assistants. There's just not enough of us to meet the demand. If I could hire four doctors, I still would be booked out for like a month. That's amazing. And the, but your facility is enough that you have enough like rooms to do these procedures in. You don't have the staff power at the moment to meet the demand. And it isn't a lack for trying to hire. Yeah, it's definitely not that. It's just they're not out there. Um, The competition for veterinary professionals right now is ridiculous. Like you can go on any hiring website. Some places are like giving like a $25,000 to $50,000 signing bonus. And they still are like, We've been hiring for a year and still can't get anybody. That's private practice, I imagine. Private practice, yeah. And so there's like, if there's big dollars in private practice, is it more, even more difficult to find folks to come to to East Bay, or or is that a different calling, or like what? How does that work? Are you in competition with them? Yeah, it, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Okay. So um, we definitely are in competition with private practice, with corporate practice, but it depends on what they're actually looking for. Um, You know, some individuals are, I just want to do a wellness practice. Some people like, I want to be in ER, I want to be in specialty. With us, it's specifically, we are serving a community. You're going to get a hodgepodge of cases from wellness cases to a lot of the local ERs and GPs will actually refer their clients to us to get those surgeries and medical care that they your client can't afford with them. And then they go right back to their GP after they're taken care of. And that's fine. That's what we're here to serve. So if a veterinarian is looking for a clinic where they're going to see a puppy from the first visit all the way to end of life and bond with a client over 20 years, we're not the right practice. So I think especially during COVID, it allowed 
the opportunity for a lot of people to really think about what they want professionally. So then there has been that change of some of our veterinarians, two of our veterinarians left during COVID to seek other opportunities that it's like, okay, maybe this isn't my calling anymore. I'm going to try something else or, you know, child care is a problem. I can't do this. I need to go part-time. Um, we've seen an exodus of people leaving the Bay just because cost of living. Um, so yeah, there, it's a, it's a huge mixed bag. Um, we are competitive with our wages, so I don't want to say that nonprofit is not going to pay because that would, wouldn't be realistic. Uh, so we're definitely competitive. Um, we don't have what's called the pro-sal model. Um, so sometimes with veterinary professionals, or, uh, you'll see this more in corporate or private practice. You have a salary and then you earn production on top of that for like, so if you do a lot of surgeries or stuff, you're going to, you're going to earn a lot more. Um, for us, our goal is to get the cost for care as low as possible for the client. So it just doesn't make sense for us. So we do kind of like a base salary. So we did see individuals from the private practice or corporate practice setting were applying during COVID and I was talking to them. And once they came in for working interviews, kind of saw what we were doing. And then I think the nervousness of COVID as well as just kind of a mental switch of like, this is your base salary. This is what you're going to make. And their idea of like, uh, yes, that's the same of what I'm making now, but it's still kind of wonky. Like, what if things change? And it's like, well, it's the same, but it's just a change in mind shift. This episode is brought to you by Invisible Health Technologies. At Invisible Health Technologies, we believe that nothing is more important than our safety and security at work and in our communities. To achieve this, we implement groundbreaking technologies that play a vital role in helping us create cleaner, safer spaces for ourselves, our employees, and our children. With cutting-edge health and safety technologies, we keep organizations safe in today's new normal. Prepare your business for the future today by contacting us at InvisibleHealthTechnologies.com. By the way, with other folks that I speak with, and I think this is well known, there's like hiring issues across all kinds of industries at the moment. Yeah. I spoke to people that have restaurants and people that are in hotels and everybody's got a similar problem of attracting and finding folks. It's probably a, a mixture of people that left certain markets, like like they, they left the Bay Area and they're no longer there. There's not as many people there. People that want more time off or they want more flexibility or whatever it is, right? There's a new calculation that's sort of getting itself figured out at the moment. Let me ask you about sort of current status now. We're in mid-June. What is the status of, of like adoptions? Like if I come right now to your facility and I'm looking to adopt a dog, can I, can I go in now and do I have to make an appointment? Like how does that work? So we are, as of right now today, um, June 18th, we are still doing matchmaking with shelter leadership and senior leadership. We are creating a change where we will, looking at how we open to the public, how people can come in and walk around like, quote unquote, the old days, but still control how many people are coming in and out. So doing that probably appointment based um, and then do that matchmaking in person, like before, it was kind of like, look around, what do you see? Oh, I like this dog. Okay, let's talk about your lifestyle a little bit. And But we still had like 
an adoption application, but it wasn't, it was removing as many boundaries as possible. I think we've learned over the last year that if we match make our rate of returns due to them not being the right fit for their family have dramatically decreased. So we kind of like that knowing the animal's personality, then let's take a look into what are you actually looking for? Not just like, oh, this one's really cute. I want to take it home. Right. So like your form used to be geared towards like, let's have like the barrier pretty low to get people in here to adopt an animal because we've got lots of animals, right? And they all need loving homes. Now, a change that you guys made was you asked more selective questions just, just to make the matchmaking more efficient, right? Is that something that you think that you would continue, you'll continue into the future? Like that form will get a bit longer because it's actually helpful. I think the matchmaking more in person, the more communication, like in-person communication, I don't think our form is going to get longer. I think it's more lifestyle-based questions of, what are you looking for? Are you a runner? Do you like to hang out and, you know, binge watch Netflix? Or, you know, is there a certain color you like, a size you like? Um, more along those questions. Because before, I mean, it was, what's your name? What's your birthday? So we can get in our system. Address. Do you have the ability to take care of an animal? Do you feel supported to take care of an animal? Does anyone else in your household have objections to you having an animal and then it's like you're ready for an animal and then our policy won't change at any time to be like if you need to return this animal that's adopted from us at any time for any reason you can bring them back we will take them in no questions asked like refuse them we do ask questions into their lifestyle so that we can then help it will help um fast track an adoption to someone else to be like, oh yeah, this dog runs all the time. It's a little nervous around other dogs, lives with a cat, you know, sleeps in bed with my toddler. So, I mean, we'd ask those kind of questions, but not the more personal side of it. Right. I imagine if somebody, if it doesn't work out, people might feel a little guilty anyway. So the idea that they can adopt a dog with every intention of having it be in their forever home and it doesn't work out, it makes them feel a bit more comfortable taking the dog in the first place. Because it's like, well, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. I can bring it back and we can find another home. I think that makes sense. I've never adopted a dog like that. As I said earlier, before we started recording during COVID, my family fostered a dog, which has now become our dog. <laughs> so it was just a straight, like, here's a dog for you. And then we had the dog in our house. And then at some point, I, months later, I was like, I guess this is our dog now. Yeah, something we were recommending actually during COVID, um, since we had so many people wanting to foster and it was amazing, um, that actually was the quickest way to actually have them adopt. So we have what's called a Trello board that has all the animals that are open to foster their pictures as well as kind of details about them if they have like special needs. Um, so we have, you know, behavior specific fosters. So or, you know, medical fosters are like, they don't have any medical or behavior issues. They just need to kind of de-stress somewhere or they're just waiting for their spay neuter appointment. So it'd be just nice for them to be in a home relaxing instead of being in the shelter. Um, but we give our fosters first choice to adopt. So that was the quickest way for people to adopt was become fosters and then being like, oh, I'll take this one. 
And then it was almost like a trial to see if it was the right fit for their family. And if it was, then it's like, yep, we're ready to adopt. And that's like, okay, we're just waiting for your spay neuter appointment. Bring them in. We'll spay neuter them. And then we'll finish the adoption paperwork and you're good to go. Um, so that was one of the quickest ways during COVID to get kind of your choice. Got it. Got it. A new pet. I guess the other thing that I have asked everyone else uh, in these in these interviews is about like how you've affected your facilities. You know, did you do temperature screening? Did you do air filtration during and then also nowadays? Is that something that you guys bothered to do or because you were no longer front facing with customers didn't do that? In the beginning, it was a big discussion of a senior leadership, what would be appropriate um, from the bandwidth of team as well as uh, realistic uh, what would be able to be done. So what we did is we asked all our team members just to self-screen. Are you coughing? Are, do you have a fever? And then we actually created little kits for everybody and everybody got a little COVID pre-kit. So we bought everyone a thermometer. We you know, got them some goodies. We got um, East Bay SPCA face masks. Um, so we made them a little kit and then we just asked them all just to be responsible because of COVID pay. Everyone was completely honest. We were on top of, did you potentially get exposed? Let me know if you potentially got exposed. It's not going to affect your pay. You're going to get paid. We just need to know we need to prep the team. Um, and again, because everyone is so mission vision driven, we did communicate with everyone that if we end up with a COVID case, if we have to shut down, those are animals and people that have nowhere else to go. So we just ask you to be responsible. So although we are still dealing with a pandemic, I could knock on wood and say that we have did not have a single COVID positive case for our entire organization of 80 plus individuals. Um, so it's something we're really proud of our team for being honest and protecting themselves and, and making sure everyone was safe. Uh, so we never did the require them to do temperature checks. We just asked them to do it on their own. Um, everyone was required to wear a mask inside and outside. We did say no more riding in cars with each other, especially our own transportation cars. So we did limit that. Um, we did limit one person per table in the break room. So we did things like that, um, which we're still doing at this time. With Cal OSHA's changes and Governor Newsom's changes, that is also something that we're looking at. Okay, what do we do from here? Um, we probably have, I'd say, about 89 to 95% of our team is vaccinated, fully vaccinated. But there are those individuals that aren't, as well as we don't know the public status that's coming in. Um, and again, we work with individuals from the more economically challenged or, you know, from the unsheltered community which we know have had more of the struggles to obtain vaccines. So we're just looking at it again as if we have to shut down for any reason. Those are animals and people that we can't care for that don't have other resources. Um, Ideally, I guess, if everyone was on board, the entire 80-plus staff would just be vaccinated because it would just be the, the way to maintain uh, consistency, right? Is that is that you, you wouldn't necessarily have to worry about that threat unless it was some breakthrough thing, which I know is statistically very, very slim. But people have their own thoughts on this. And so you can't really mandate that. Or, or maybe you can. I don't know how it works in California. But I can, I can understand that there's some sensitivities there. This is for pretty much every business that I've spoken with. That would be the best. 
is that everybody has this. I think the legals are a little murky when it comes to that. I think we've seen with the the recent case of the nurses from the hospital. I think there was like 200 nurses that were... Houston or something. I think it was the Houston yeah, nurses, Yeah, so right? I mean, um, California, I think there's technicalities that, yes, a workplace can mandate vaccines, but from a cultural standpoint, as organization culture, that's not where we are. That's not what we want to do to our team members. So again, that was another discussion that we had and we decided that, you know, we don't want to go there. It's just, we just don't want to go there. Um, We want to remove the political out of it. We just want to be about protecting our team, protecting the community, providing services. So now that we're playing with that idea, um, so this week we did talk about you know, now that the mask mandate is lifted, Cal OSHA, as of yesterday, said that employees don't need to wear masks. What do we do? You know, as of last week, the medical team was very adamant that if clients want to come to the building, they need to even ask, we're wearing a mask, period. You know, some other departments in our organization may be a little more lax. Um, we also have our humane education department with their rules haven't changed. And we have kids here all the time. So if there's kids here, everyone needs to be masked, period. So it there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, and we're trying to communicate that. And people come from other departments into other departments walking through, picking up things. So it's like, all right, if you're in the admin department and you guys don't need to wear masks, if you come to the clinic, you better put your mask on before you come into the vet clinic. So we don't want to have mixed messages with everybody. So we're just trying to figure that out as best we can as we go. Um, I'd like to say there was a miracle right answer, but there isn't until we try it. Right. That's like sort of the theme. It's like in the beginning, March 11th or March 17th, rather, you're sort of figuring it out and working through it. And then through the summer and through the winter, adjusting as you can and as, as, you're, as the state is telling you to do so. And even now, with the availability of vaccines and, and things are clearly opening, like I went to a, I went to a bar the other day. Uh, I'm in New York right now. And I went, I went to a, a bar with like maskless people, you know. So that's happening. But the, that experience doesn't necessarily mean that you can have that same experience if you go to a, to a medical clinic or to a, the SPCA, because that may still require that you wear a mask. And I think people understand that. There's going to be different businesses that are going to, continue doing this for a bit longer until, you know, you hit whatever, certain metrics or, or certain numbers for vaccinated or for that. For What is it? Coster County? Is that where you are? Uh, we are in Alameda County. Oh, Alameda. Okay. Yeah. Right. But but they're next to each other, right? Yeah. Um, Contra Costa and Alameda touch. Yeah. That's, it's an interesting problem, but you have to just kind of go with it, I guess. Yeah. And it, it definitely... I want to respect my team's comfort and I don't want them to be upset or, or feel like I'm not taking their uh, thoughts or feelings into consideration because now that we have clients coming into the veterinary clinics, we're coming into exam rooms. So although they say that social distance isn't needed anymore, if you know there's enough people vaccinated, you know, I think it's been drilled into our heads so much that it's like, social distance, social distance, social distance. And now we're putting people, our team members and clients, that this is the first week that we've had them in the clinic into a closed small room. And then the same week you want me to tell them, oh, nobody needs to wear a mask anymore. That's ripping the bandaid off far too quick. 
for their comfort level and probably a little bit of mine, you know? I was like, I really want to protect them. I want them to feel safe and comfortable. I mean, if they're nervous going into an exam room, communication is going to be hard with the client. The animals are going to pick up on that. It's like that, yeah. Yeah, we just need to kind of, yeah, just try to figure it out. (laughs) I get it. I mean, I get it. You had said that, I know you're on the the sort of executive team that's making these decisions along with some other people. So it sounds like you guys have done a good job of really navigating through this storm. If it's like a ship at sea, you're sort of figuring out how to navigate through, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're in, I mean, regular communication, although you know, there's 80 something people on our team, it still feels small and intimate. Like it doesn't matter what your role is. Everyone's on a first name basis. Um, so yeah, we're really close to each other. Communication's not a problem on um, the senior leadership, you know, leadership organization. Um, so yeah, we, we try to respond as quickly as possible. That's actually one of our core values. Um, it's being able to quickly respond and responsibility to respond to changes in our community. You know, when we created that statement, we had actually just dealt with a canine influenza breakout in the area. So that's where our mind went with it. Uh, not exactly a na- uh, pandemic, but it fits. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Wow. Well, Kristen, I really want to thank you so much for, for joining me on this conversation. It's been fantastic. Yeah, it's been great chatting with you. Thanks for your time today, too. I want to use this as an opportunity to plug your organization as well, East Bay, SPCA. Um, for everybody that's listening, please look it up. Kristen, what's the website? Um, it's eastbayspca.org. Okay, everybody should go to eastbayspca.org and donate some money to help out that community center and help out all those animals. So, Kristen, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Have a great rest of your day. You too. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Redesigning Normal podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. This episode is brought to you by Invisible Health Technologies. At Invisible Health Technologies, we believe that nothing is more important than our safety and security at work and in our communities. To achieve this, we implement groundbreaking technologies that play a vital role in helping us create cleaner, safer spaces for ourselves, our employees, and our children. With cutting-edge health and safety technologies, we keep organizations safe in today's new normal. Prepare your business for the future today by contacting us at invisiblehealthtechnologies.com.